Uh, hello everyone, thank you very much for coming. Uh, this is the third in the series of system failure talks. The first one was around the public funding system and the second one around regeneration. The focus of this one, as I hope you all know, is money and income. Uh, we're holding all of these talks here at Block 336, which is an artist-run gallery and studio space, not-for-profit. All of the proceeds from the bar go to run the gallery, so don't be shy about <laughs> Feel good about having a drink. The main premise for System Failure as a series is that the art world is run by human beings and is therefore imperfect and can be improved, which I, think, I don't think many people would have too much problem with particularly about how it can be improved for artists. Uh, without artists, of course, there is no art, and therefore there is no art world, so it's about trying to have a slightly more artist-centred art world. Also, most of us, I think, as artists, spend some of our time in the pub setting the world to rights. Mm. We wanted to make that a slightly more public process and more solutions-focused process. So, although we will spend some time identifying what the issues are, I, I, I am going to be pushing for us to be also considering how we might practically help to change things, even if it's in quite broad brush ways or even if it's quite idealistic. Uh, at least it's a, a starting point. Uh, so we also want artists to be more familiar with the issues and how to overcome them, to learn more about the different parts of the art world that might be able to help them to, to uh, work towards collective action and solidarity in various different ways, and to understand what our responsibility as artists are in uh, the art world. I'm not sure if I mentioned that my name is Russell. <laughs> now I think of it. I'm the director of ArtQuest and I'm also an artist. And uh, ArtQuest is part-time and I'm an artist the rest of the time. And Nick, who is on the decks at the back, is uh, also an artist and also works at ArtQuest. So these are in-conversation events. Uh, they're intended to be quite informal. We're going to hear for a few minutes from each of the speakers uh, and then we'll talk a little bit amongst ourselves and then I'll chair a more open discussion amongst everyone in the room. So if you do have points or comments or questions that you want to raise, if you could hold them for a little bit towards the end and we'll have plenty of time to hear from everyone. There's also another half an hour after we finish the formal part that you can come find us later on and add something else if there's something that you wanted to, to say individually to us. Um, obviously there'll be a lot of crossover between this and the other bits because we are talking about the art world as a system so even though we'll be, the main focus is around money and income there will obviously be other things that, that come into that as well uh, the reasoning behind wanting to talk about money which might seem strange even to have to go over why we want to talk about money uh, it's a perennial issue it's, it's been an issue for artists since time immemorial uh, it's not a particularly recent phenomenon, but it's one that we're, that we're still struggling with, I think, as a sector and as a group within that sector. We, uh, there, I think there's also been a recent kind of professionalisation within the arts and amongst artists. And the kind of business model of artists, I think, has changed over the last 15 to 20 years. There's, a more, there's more of a focus on being an artist as being a job, as being something that you can have professional development in, that you can have career development in. Whereas before, artists would often quite openly be supporting their practice through different things. There's, there's more of a questioning attitude around that, which I think would be quite interesting to talk about this evening if it comes up. There's also, within that professionalised career, there's basically no progression. 
there's no increase in wages, you earn the same when you start as when you do after 20 years. So it, if it is a business, I would argue we're very bad at it. <laughs> uh, even though, of course, legally we are small businesses as, as individual artists. Um, so there's, there's things around also the mechanisms behind money, about what it, what it does for people as they work, around motivations, the validation that earning money gives you, the self-esteem, the non-financial rewards. So there's, it's obviously an absolutely enormous topic. We're not going to reach all of this, but this is a good, hopefully a good starting point. Um, so we want to explore in some what is the place of money for artists. What could it be or what, what might it be in the future? Uh, what we can change in our behaviours around money, how we can help other people change their behaviours, the people that we interact with and work with around money, and to emphasise and to explore the idea of the art world being something that we take part in, that it's not something that just happens to us and that we can negotiate with people, we can communicate with people to try to change things. It is being audio recorded, um, and if I could ask if you could make your mobile phones not make a noise. Do feel free to tweet as we go along if you want to. The hashtag is AQSystemFailure. Uh, Nick will also be tweeting, so we can, <coughs> rather interestingly, be tweeting from the front to the back of the room, which would be <laughs> rather fun. Um, I'm not sure which of you would like to go first. Do you have a particular preference? I don't have a preference. Do you have a preference? I'd like to land a bit more, so if you want to go first... Okay. Yes, that's no problem. That's fine. <laughs> so this is Mark Gubb, who is a regional ambassador, is that the right term? Advocate. So, advocate. Yes. Regional advocate for the Paying Artist campaign, which is, of course, at the moment being run by AM. Thank you very much. Cheers. Um, I apologise for the fact that my computer's on the table here, but I've been on the move for the last few days, and so the notes that I've made for myself are on here rather than being printed out. And so... Um, yeah, I guess I am here with two hats on tonight, really. Um, um, as was said then, I started working with AN on this campaign um, earlier this year as one of the uh, kind of regional advocates, and I'll explain a bit more about what that means in a second. Um, but I'm also here as a, an artist um, of nearly 20 years' practice now. And so, um, and to pick up on something you coincidentally said there right away, um, this idea being paid the same now as 20 years ago, it's... Uh, almost uncannily true in that we've lived obviously for a long time now with the kind of AN um, kind of day rates that have been extremely useful and well, although they are a, a varied scale there seems to be this figure of £150 a day that is the most anyone will ever consider paying anyone and so um, <laughs> so yeah that's absolutely right and so um, what I think would be useful, I'm sure everyone here knows um, what the Paying Artist campaign was but I thought I, I should maybe lend some context to that and kind of set out um, kind of where it came from and what hopefully some of the kind of uh, key purposes of it were. And it was really born out of some research that, um, that flagged up that 71% of artists aren't receiving a fee from publicly funded galleries when they exhibit with them. And it's important to say that at this point the, that was the kind of particular focus of the campaign was um, artist fees um, for exhibiting at publicly funded galleries. And so um, as the project has developed now, um, it, it, it will, of course, uh, become much broader, but it's, it's not yet dealing with um, uh, the kind of research and, and uh, development and the uh, material side of things. It's very much that, here's some money for letting us show your work in our publicly funded space. And um, of the 110,000 full-time equivalent employees within our industry, the average income is still only £9,000 a year, and only 16% of artists have a pension. Um, 
And so what the campaign was in some ways is in some ways partly a massed voice that can be used for lobbying, but it also in people signing up to, um, to be part of the campaign and support the campaign, it provided um, uh, an excellent mass uh, of um, uh, body of people in which we could gather the research that we needed to take the project forwards. Um, so the kind of research and consultation part of the, uh, of the campaign ran for around a year. I'm going to keep looking at Jeannie at certain points to make sure I get my stats correct. But um, the, from, from uh, kind of May uh, 2014 to May 2015, um, the, its intention is ultimately to develop a, a kind of framework and set of tools that artists and galleries can use to, um, to develop what an artist fee should be. So it's not just about handing this to artists and saying, now get on with it. It's about very much creating something that is a, a conversation that can happen between galleries or commissioners and artists at these points when um, these sometimes slightly awkward conversations need to happen. Um, the draft framework has been written and is currently being looked at and tweaked by people, so I'm, I'm actually not going to talk about the content of the framework yet because it's, it's not ready to be born into the world quite yet, and so, but Im imminently it is. Um, but what I can tell you is it's not a grid of figures. It's not a version of the day rates. It's not just this is what we think artist fees should be if you're at this point in your career. Um, it's way more nuanced than that. It's very specifically been developed to deal with the reality of the situation, um, meaning that, um, of course, we know that there are benefits from in-kind um, uh, kind of coming into projects. And, um, but they have to be tangible, they have to have a cash value, and they have to be genuinely beneficial to artists. And so by that, I'm talking about things like um, a catalogue that might be produced alongside your show or mentoring and those kind of things. And so it's being structured that they can still factor into these negotiations and, and, uh, and the calculations of what a fee might be. Um, and so when it does eventually appear into the world, um, it will still be a live project as well. It's, it's not equally not something which is just going to be kind of dropped out and um, uh, kind of uh, given as a fait accompli. Now this, is, now this is what you should use as a gallery or an artist. Um, for a, a significant period yet, it's going to be being reviewed and tweaked so that it has credibility and is actually something which is... Um, genuinely useful to the art world and therefore adopted by the art world because you know it's all well and good putting something like this out in the world but if people don't want to use it they just won't it's as simple as that and so it has to be something which um, is felt beneficial to all, all um, parties. Um, there have been some really significant and positive things have come out of it already. Um, the, the very idea of it was adopted very quickly by Arts Council England and written into their national portfolio organisation agreements that when the framework does appear they have to use it, essentially. Um, and there are uh, currently statements of support from Arts Council Wales, um, Creative Scotland, and Arts Council Northern Ireland. They've not quite taken the, the, the full step of saying, we'll definitely make, tell everyone they have to implement it, but they are very supportive, um, very supportive of it. Um, so in terms of what we did as advocates, there were um, pairings of advocates were invited um, to, to kind of get involved with the project in... Cardiff, Liverpool, Bristol, Birmingham and Glasgow um, and our role was largely to get out amongst our arts communities and um, make people aware of the campaign so that they would uh, sign up to the campaign but it was also to be very proactive in lobbying MPs and things like that. There was a particular focus, we were obviously on the run up to the general election at the time and so it was felt that this was a particularly good moment to be bombarding our MPs with emails saying this is important, this is happening, um, you should support this. Um, and that was interesting. I mean, there's, there's of course, been a, a report 
written on um, the, the kind of how this activity panned out. And um, what it did actually transpire is that general elections are not a great time to try and get any kind of response out of an MP whatsoever because they're all too busy trying to get elected, if that makes any sense. Um, and so uh, in, um, certainly in uh, Cardiff, I worked with Sean Edwards, um, and we were, we were the, the Cardiff advocates, and we, we contacted absolutely everyone who was already elected and everyone who was running. And uh, several times, by several channels, and I think I had maybe five or six responses from um, you know, a lot of people, all of which actually were in support of the campaign. So that was really, really good. But it was really noticeable in, in uh, kind of how um, reticent they were about actually coming forwards at that particular moment. Um, and mine and Sean's uh, um, kind of experience was maybe slightly different to the other advocates in that um, I don't know if any of you are from Wales or know Wales particularly well, but it's, it's a small country, you know. There's only three million people live in the entire country. And so we personally know most of the organisations that are actually uh, functioning within Wales. Um, so different to the advocates in Liverpool and Birmingham and elsewhere, we felt that it was probably of more use for us to talk to Wales rather than talk to Cardiff. And so, um, so that's what we did. So we, um, we spent a lot of time having face-to-face -face meetings with the... Uh, directors and curators of the, um, they're still called RFOs in, in Wales. Um, and um, it was a very, very interesting experience. Unsurprisingly, almost um, across the board, everyone would sit there and say, yes, of course we support the Paying Artists campaign. Um, but then the advantage of being a small nation and knowing a lot of artists that work within that nation, you actually know the reality of the situations, of the experiences that people are having with those organisations as well. And so, it, which didn't necessarily tally up with the overwhelming support that they were vocally kind of offering the campaign. And so um, what I wanted to do just um, in the last couple of minutes that I've got here is just to raise a couple of the things that came out of, of our experience which I thought were particularly interesting. Um, one was, these are all um, kind of uh, anonymised, obviously I'm not going to point any fingers at any people or organisations, but hopefully they're kind of uh, points of interest. But I, I received an email from one artist who... Um, popped up, and I'll read you a little bit from his email. It said, um, I'm interested in the AN Paying Artists campaign, mainly as I don't get it. Of course, we all want more money, and we would all like a living wage or fair, fair price for our work, but I'm not sure we're in a position to achieve this. Surely if you had the time, you could measure the amount of money that individuals and governments put into the arts, then isn't this total all we can expect to get? So by paying artists a fair wage, you're actually trying to shift from paying lots of artists a little to paying a few artists more. In the arts, we produce way more artists than the economy can carry. Therefore, we're all complicit in accepting lower wages. It seems daft to want more money from a system that has shrinking capital and increasing demand. And I don't read that out to mock this guy. He's a nice chap. Um, I think there's, a, there's an economic logic behind what he's saying there. But um, I was really genuinely surprised to receive that email from an artist. Um, and the, uh, almost the, the position of resignation that is, is within that of, um, you know, this is our lot, isn't it? You know, isn't it just going to make things worse for everybody else if we somehow um, kind of rejig how this money is put together? And so um, that was really interesting. And we weren't alone in getting a, a, an email like that. I know other advocates had similar conversations or emails from people, from artists. Um, there was um, the reality of the situation, a conversation we had with the director of one organisation who was um, upfront and honest enough to tell us what um, their core funding was that they received from the Arts Council every year, who then went on to tell us how that 
and it's, it's a good chunk of money. You know, we're talking a few hundred thousand pounds here. Um, she then went on to tell us that the running costs of the building and the staff came to exactly that and kind of looked at us slightly exasperated and said, you know, if I pay artists, um, if I pay artists, what am I supposed to do? Like, let a member of staff go? And it's kind of, yeah, that's exactly what you should be doing. Um, and so that's, that's, a, that's a position that genuinely exists. Um, and uh, an, an artist who I know who had a solo project happen at a, a very well-funded gallery, um, who um, he... This is for a small kind of project space, but a show which is going to... solo project space which is going to run for a number of months. Um, he was offered £800 to do this project um, in this space, and that was to cover all of his travel, all of his accommodation, all of his materials. Um, and then, quite far into this process, that was then cut to £600. And that didn't, of course, even cover the cost of what he needed to produce the work that was forming a core part of this gallery's programme. And so... Um, yeah, there, there's some really interesting and slightly nightmarish scenarios out there. And so um, that was really all I wanted to, um, wanted to say. Um, hopefully there's some meat there that we can uh, digest at some point. I so. think there's lots, yes. Um, I, I'm going to bite my tongue at the moment <laughs> and hand us over to... It's not terrible in Wales, can I just say. I'm, I'm, <laughs> flagging, up, I'm flagging up, hopefully, points of interest for discussion. It's a pretty good place to live and work. Yeah, yeah. Um, thank you very much, Mark. Uh, we're going to go now to Angela Kennedy, who's an artist and uh, are you a council member of Artists Union England? Executive member. Executive member. Executive member of, of Artists Union and one of the founder members as well. Um, so, Angela, over to you. Yeah, I think what that, the last two examples you've given is kind of the crux of where we're at, really. Um, I'll give you a tiny bit of background and I must not ramble. <laughs> So my name's Angela Kennedy and um, in 2013 myself and another artist called Catriona Beans and Sally Scheinman, it was in January 2013 and it was a very particular time when we thought actually we need something that artists are really going to do something about their own circumstances and how are we going to do it collectively because I knew all about AN you know but it's whatever organisation you are, you're limited. I mean, a trade union is limited, what we can do as well. But I think having the end there as well, it's a good complement because then we can support each other. And I think because we're independent and just one member, one vote, we are there because we can be more bolshy. <laughs> That's the point. And the issue is we wanted to set up a union because there was nobody to give that independent, collective, democratic voice. You know, performers have equity... Uh, crew members and technicians have BEC2, Musicians Union, you know, musicians have that. Um, there's NUJ for journalists and uh, documentary photographers. And yet, visual artists, there's an absolute gaping hole. AN has done some great work around research the last few years and around guidelines, but really, I think they haven't had like, that flaw to push from of actually saying, actually, there's somebody else out there and the whole body of artists that are willing to come out and do something about it. So I'd really urge, urge all of you, you know, we, we, we started Skyping and talking to each other about how can we create a union. And we didn't have a clue. And we still, we're still learning as we go along. But basically, you can do whatever you want to do. And if you feel passionate about something, you've just got to do something about it. It's as simple as that. But you've got to be willing to put your head above the parapet. You know, you really have. And I think if you don't know something, there's loads of stuff I don't know about trade unions. But that's okay. 
So we set this union, we launched in 2014, and uh, we had a launch in London, a launch in Newcastle, and people have joined. You know, we can't offer very much yet because we have to have a certificate of independence, we discovered. Now, the certificate of independence is a part of a quango that Thatcher set up, funnily enough, <laughs> uh, to make it very difficult for unions to actually exist. And we have to pay a fee to become independent of £4,066. <laughs> now, we've got no money because we don't get money from anywhere apart from our members and donations. We're not allowed to take any money from possible employers or employers in case that sways you know, our, our ideas and stuff. So we desperately want people to join, and then you as members can tell us what you want us to do. And we will campaign on those things. So some of the things we've been campaigning on is things that Mark have been talking about. It's about paying artists, you know. Um, and it's a job like anything else. You know, if, if theatre workers, as Joseph will know, who's an equity member as well, if you um, audition or you put a commission in for a piece of work in a gallery, um, and if you do that uh, as, a, as a performance piece in a theatre, then usually you have about between four, to five, six weeks to make a piece of work in a theatre space. And the people who have organised that have um, fundraised for that. And some of that money might come from Arts Council, but everybody will ex be expected to get paid. And equity have rates. And they're not massive, just like we've put out a rates of pay document earlier this year. And it's not massively different from um, AN's rate of pay, because we want it to be fair. It's not about getting probably the best rate of pay. I mean, we had actually, when we put that out, an artist who was very, very angry that our rate of pay that we recommended that we kept in line with the Scottish Artists Union, so as not to undermine them, is 2.30 a day. And that's only gone up. I've been a practitioner for nearly 30 years. That's only gone up about 30 quid in, in nearly 30 years. That's absolutely appalling. And we should not be just sitting here thinking, well, there's not much we can do about it. There is something we can do about it. Particularly, you know, a lot of our artists, we represent visual, applied artists and socially engaged practitioners. Those who work with schools, with deprived communities, with anybody who necessarily isn't a professional artist. And there's a lot of us that are doing that kind of ground core, core work. Um, and that's because, you know, for example, that's part of my practice. I want to do that work. I believe that it's part of having a trade union for me is an issue of social justice. You know, it's about artists. I worked hard at my training and I want to be paid for what I do because I know I do it well, you know. And I want to get paid for that and I don't want to get astronomical paid. It would be great if I did one day if I was an Anthony Gormley, but, you know, there's time to go for that. Yeah, I'm sure he gets really well paid for what he does. That's great. But, you know, I think 2.30 a day is not astronomical, you know. Um, so, yeah, I think we've got to kind of stand up for each other and if you get offered a piece of work... Make sure that you look around at the guidelines and ask for that. And if you don't get offered that, just have a conversation. You know, I got offered a piece of work a few weeks ago, and it was a workshop in the middle of the day. It was 12 to 2. Now, by the time I prepped before and cleaned up afterwards, I couldn't do anything else that day. And they only wanted to offer me a half day's fee. Now, you know, that's 100 quid. That's, I'm sorry, that's not on. Okay? So I went back, and I just I thought, well, I can only ask. And yes, there was that lump of, oh, and I get a lot of work from this big national organisation. I thought, you know, does this mean they're never going to offer me work again? And it's like, you know, you've just got to do it. You've just got to stand up and do it. Because if everybody does that, every artist was doing that, then they wouldn't be able to undercut any of us. So I went and asked, and we basically compromised. They wouldn't give me a full day, but I got a time and a half. 
And they said, actually, that's quite fair because it is in the middle of the day. So if I hadn't asked, but it is about being brave, being brave, and I think artists are brave, or you wouldn't be putting your practice out there that sometimes looks like, what the hell is that, you know? You can articulate about a practice that no one's ever seen before. Do it for others as well. So for me, that is what I set the trade, trade union for. You know, I've been working as a volunteer for two years, and I'm really tired. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, and Haley's a member of the exec there as well. If you want to put your hand up for Haley, so at the end you can ask her as well about the. But please become a member. And please have your voice heard, because you can change things, but you have to do something about it. You can't rely on ACE listening to you, you know. They haven't even recognised us as a trade union yet, because we haven't got a certificate of independence. So, you know, all the other unions are on their website. You go and have a look at it, you know. And that is morally wrong, you know. We are a trade union, and yes, as soon as we're applying for certification now, we should have it within a couple of months, then we'll be able to get free training from the TUC once we're affiliated. You know, and it's limited what a trade union does. But what happens is, one of the great things that a union does is if, for example, you go into a gallery, you promise all sorts of things, paper-wise or over the phone, and they have the great guidelines which will really help. But in the end, they can put those guidelines in the bin. If you're part of the union, once we're certificate and we have legal backing, you can ring us up and we'll come and represent you at that gallery and say, actually, that's not on. So you don't have to sit there on your own. You've got somebody else that will represent you. You've got a union behind you. Have I gone over my ten minutes? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. That's, that's great. Thank you very much, Angela. Um, so there's lots to be getting on with amongst all of that. I wanted to pick up on... I guess where I'd quite like to start is this idea of being brave and of and of negotiation and of, you know, we, as artists, we like to call ourselves professional artists and being professional and, you know, the overwhelming majority of artists do act very professionally, but where they don't often act professionally is around things like negotiating pay, mm. talking about money with each other or with their prospective employers. Mm. Um, and all, so there's that, but the other side to that also as well is if you meet an artist socially and you say, oh, so what have you been up to? They'll tell you all this amazing stuff they've been doing. I've got this exhibition and I'm talking about this residency and I'm doing this amazing international thing. But they very rarely, not, almost none of that will probably be bringing very much money. Mm. And they don't also talk about the other things that they have to do to earn money. Mm. I'm just wondering if we can talk a little bit around that, about what you think maybe some of the reasons are, how we might be able to um, uh, combat some of that, to encourage artists to be quite upfront, at least on the first stage, with each other, about where their money comes from or doesn't mm. come from. Mm. <clears throat> I would just say, it's, I talk about that kind of stuff a lot, actually. It's not to contradict you, you're absolutely spot on. But it's partly because when I was at university, one of my lecturers he was a writer and he was an artist and I very early on spotted that as a model that I thought looked quite desirable and so I genuinely see the lecturing that I do and the writing that I do and things like that as part of my practice and so I'm really keen to talk about those things mm. with people. But yeah, you're, you're absolutely right and I think it comes down to almost an embarrassment on some levels if, if someone's working their job in Asda, um, it feels like they're failing in some level and there's, a, there's just that um, kind of... Uh, not societal pressure or, or industrial pressure. You know, it's not like the industry really does look down on people. But um, until we get over that, that it's that there is on some level, it's it's all right to have you know portfolio career to use the correct term. That 
people don't want to talk about that stuff, do they? Mm -hmm. But I don't know how we get over that. Sorry, mm -hmm. that's just completely not answered your question. I mean, people just have to be active about their, about their professional life and about their practice, I think. And you just have to talk about it. And there's mm. no shame. You know, there's no shame in doing what you need to do to survive. You know, and I think artists are very, very good at that. The whole universal credit thing that's coming in, which you've been campaigning on, you know, that's going to be horrendous for people who've got kids because they're going to make you do a, an accountant, uh, accountancy every month. And if you are not earning enough, 37 hours a week, in the equivalent to a minimum wage, a monthly, uh, uh, an hourly rate of the minimum wage, you're going to be cut off. So even though you might get two or three workshops that are well paid, if that's not enough, you're going to be hauled into the job centre and have these horrendous, you know, they are humiliating, because I know through my sons, you know, uh, interviews. And they are there to humiliate you, because they're there to scare you, so that you don't sign on. Because that's, unfortunately, for me, that is political, that is what this government is about. They're not interested in supporting people who are really at the bottom, and most artists, most artists are core workers, working in communities on very little money, you know, and they do it, yes, they do it for the love of it, but it's a job. It's a job. Well, it's this, it's this thing about it being a job that I want to try and kind of drill into a little bit, mm. because, it, I mean, someone said to me a long time ago, who goes to art school to get a job? So there is a kind of inbuilt, uh, it's almost structural, at least traditionally, I think, in, in artist training. It's a job of work, go though, to, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, but, but that you go to art school, it's often not particularly talked about, although that is, of course, very patchy and changing a lot, but it's often not talked about what happens after art school. Mm. Um, how you're going to earn money. My professional development at art school was about a week at the end of the course, which was ironically not subtitled, So You Really Want to Be Poor. And it was basically about, uh, well, you're going to be an artist, you're going to be an artist, you are going to be poor. Yeah. It it's, was kind of presented as a lifestyle choice, almost, mm. rather than as a job. And I wonder if the motivations for people to become artists are to get a job, and if that's, and if not, then maybe that's one of these structural, systemic issues that we're facing in trying to combat some of this. You see, I think that's okay to be idealistic. I think if you can't be really idealistic, you're not going to become an artist, basically. You know, because you've got to think completely the way no one else has ever thought before. But that doesn't mean that when you come out, um, which I think is one of the, the great things about British art schools, that last year you're completely abandoned, left on your own. And some people think that's really terrible, but actually I think it's a really good preparation for when you go out. Because that's exactly what you've got to be able to have. Make mm. work about something. Mm. You know, there's going to be nobody there holding your hand with a lovely, you know, a bu budget. Not that you have a budget in art school anyway. Um, but I think you've got to be maybe just a bit more politically open-minded, which I think since the whole Occupy movement, which is what the... The Artists Union England came out of actually, mm -hmm. um, that there was a realisation that actually we don't have to put up with the status quo. But it doesn't mean either that we can't be idealistic and, and, and be really ambitious, but I think we should be, be more mouthy and be more, you know, be more boshy and say what we need and demand it. I do think there's a change happening on some level within that thinking as well, which which equally is, is problematic for different reasons. I mean, I, I came out of a, a, an art school um, setup, which was very much along the lines you described there, that you were, um, you were an idealist, you wanted to be an artist, you didn't really know what that meant, you just did it, and then you stepped out into the world and tried to get on with it. But certainly, I mean, I, I lecture um, uh, at 
with um, NHE have done for um, more than 10 years now. And I've seen a huge shift, a total, within the students, a total stepping away from that position that I had and most of my um, peers did when I was going through art school. And they are on the courses now thinking, how am I going to get a job at the end of this? And as I say, that's, within this context, that's good that those thoughts are happening. But it's also massively problematic within uh, the uh, kind of ambition and how, uh, the, how the courses literally mm. run and what students believe they can and should get out of those courses. Mm. And tuition fees are a massive problem and part of that, that yeah. idea that now I'm paying £9,000 for it. What do you mean I won't have a good job at the end of this? Mm. And so, um, so, you know, it's like, that's awful. But then the idea that there should be a job at the end of it is shifting within students' minds, which can only be a positive thing on some level. I suppose I'd look at it more that you want work and you want paid work. Yeah. You know, when I did my original degree in London and I went, decided where I was going to go and live, I went to Newcastle and I went to the old Northern Arts. And then I used to be a dancer and I went and saw the performing arts officer and she gave me two bits of advice. And I said, well, is there enough work here? You know, I was like 25 and clueless. And she said, there's loads of work, but you've got to find it. Mm. And the second piece of advice she gave me was, never undercut another professional. And that's always stayed with me. Well, I wonder now if you'd get that same advice, you know, which is really interesting. Mm. So I knew very clearly that if I didn't make, make the work and make it pay, and I had to find work that would pay. And I just, you know, those first two or three years were really hard. Mm. Loads of things failed. But, you know, you're an artist, you're creative. You know, so what? It's really, it's how those things, and I, I, I don't want to labour the point too much, but it's how those things match up. The yeah. idealism, which is absolutely vital about yeah. being an mm. artist and having this really broad horizon, versus a job. Is there and a the, role the, for, the, for academia then? Because I feel like I went to a talk in Leeds in the summer, and there was great academics there, and all talking about their PhDs, because there's loads of money in PhDs now, a lot of artists are managing to survive on those. Um, when that money runs out, I don't know what's going to happen to them. Um, but, you know, the whole gentrification, what's going on as well. You know, there's so much politics. You know, art is politics, whether you want to see it as that or not. I think if you decide to be an artist, you're a very political person, mm. because you're taking your life in your hands, you know. So therefore, take your life in your hands. Take control of it as much as you can. You know, get together with other artists. Don't sit and moan on your own. If you're moaning about something, say, right, what we're going to do about it. You know, join a campaign. Write your MP. Join the union. You know, have a little branch meeting. What do you want to happen? Mm. You've just got to do something about it. Honestly. Yeah. yeah. There absolutely is a role for academia in this yeah. as well. And I think, I mean, I. I had a similar experience to yourself in my, on my degree. I had one day of professional practice in three years where they kind of gathered us in our final term of our third year, sat in us in a room, and we had a presentation by someone from the Arts Council. We had a presentation by someone who ran a residency somewhere, and I forget what the other two presentations were, but that was it. One day, three years, now go off and be an artist. Yeah. And so um, I, I've personally made it a bit of a, a, a kind of a mission within what I do as a, a, an artist and an educator to, to engage with professional practice and to demystify how you can go about even attempting to build a career and those kind of things. And I've worked at a number of different um, HE institutions, some of which 
really get it and do it really well, some of which are still dreadful. And, mm. and I think there, it, it's something, there's definitely a role for HE to be addressing this stuff. It's, I would say it's almost a, um, a liability that they have, not a liability, is that the right word? Responsibility. responsibility. Mm. They are liabilities, it's <laughs> a responsibility. Um, they are liable for responsibility. Exactly, yeah. Um, and, uh, but uh, only a handful are really properly getting hold of it and doing it. And, mm. and actually, that does come a lot down to um, the, uh, the, literally the staff on the course. You know I mean, if, if you have a good course where most people are still practicing, you'll get good professional practice advice. Mm. If you happen to be on a course where the majority of those lecturers, for whatever reason, their practice has fallen away and they are now just academics, it tends to be awful. I mean, uh, our, our quest is, is in a higher education institution. We work with students and with tutors. And what we've also heard is that professional development that's taught to a bunch of students at the same time ten, can, in some circumstances, make those students feel that, that this is the one way to be an artist. Right, yeah. And that it can serve to flatten <coughs> out what people think their options might be. I'm not saying this for everyone, and, and I do genuinely believe that we need to be... So we absolutely need to be addressing it. I think it's more a pedagogic issue about how we address mm. it. Um, but what I wanted also to talk about was, was that incredibly depressing email that you read out that you'd had about should there be uh, fewer artists being paid. Um, and it's, it's because there is, in the context of shrinking public funding budgets and um, the idea that public funding is replaced by private philanthropy, whatever that means, mm. um, that it's that this money is not only shrinking, but its intention, it, the intention is that it's replaced. And then on the other hand, you look at things like Tate taking money from BP, and some of, so if we were in a circumstance of some of that public funding being replaced by private money, which, was eth which artists ethically had a problem with, we might be in a circumstance where artists are being offered fees because there's more money around, but it's being funded through organisations that they don't want to be associated with. Mm. So it's, it's where, where those kind of ethical lines are as well. Hmm. Hmm. It's really problematic. Mm. It really, really is. I, thankfully, have never found myself in the position to, where I've had to make a call on one of those things. But I have a bunch of um, friends and colleagues who I know have not sold work to a particular collector for um, ethical reasons. Um, and you know it, it's really a problem, and yeah. and, and also that um, uh, that unfortunate conflict that then can arise from when someone does take what someone else deems unethical yeah. money, and the um, the problems that can cause in a peer respect sense. You know, it's, yeah, it, it I think really maybe a if, again, if academia, that's one of the routes they could be looking at. One of the little workshops we started doing at Artists Union England is about what was a trade union, and at the end of it, we, looked, we did this little thing where we printed off lots of um, opportunities and jobs from one of the websites, you know, one of the, the, the job websites that's out there. And we just looked at them as a group, we put them on the wall, and we, we sussed out as, as little groups, is that a good opportunity, or is it actually, they're just offering free space, and actually, for this guy who's like, you know, he's got a bit of a profile, I could do that, I could hire that space and do that myself. Do I really need to go down to London and spend four, four weeks spending money staying there and, you know. So I think you've just got to be a bit more savvy about those opportunities that come up. Mm. And as you look at them, you can see some that are just very exploitative, mm. you know. And personally, I wouldn't take those. You know, just be really, look between the lines, look really carefully, you know. And then you can also, I've written to 
certain residencies I applied for, and I've really looked at the amount, and then I've written and said, what is your, what is your rate of pay? How are you paying people? How, how can you do that much? And then they've suddenly gone off in this long-winded explanation, and it's like, oh, actually, the pay is just shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just said, you know, you've got no money to pay the artist. That's what it's about. And you're just trying to glorify it and say, yeah, we'll give you some nice photographs. You know, you wouldn't pay, ask a cleaner to clean a building for a month and say, but, but, by the way, we're not going to pay you, but we'll do some nice photographs of your work. Mm. What? I mean, that's just outrageous. No. <laughs> I, oh, I was just going to say, uh, the point you make there, I think, is exactly where the campaign um, uh, comes in on some level, in that it's often the case, isn't it, that when you first look at uh, an opportunity, the figure that you might see coming off the page, you kind yeah. of think, oh, that looks all right. Yeah. And then once you start doing that maths... Um, suddenly it's disappeared <laughs> and, and there's literally nothing left for the artist. And yeah. actually the transparency is something that the campaign talks about a lot is because um, there's a lot of organisations that I think are guilty of, you know, let's chuck everything into this one big number and then yeah. it looks much better than it really is. Yeah. And, and so um, how you, the, a kind of responsibility to the organisations to pull that apart and, uh, and, and state kind of where, where your bit sits within yeah. this big number I think is something that is... Um, is really important in terms yeah. of kind of what the campaign is, is aiming to kind of bring out in organisations. Yeah. I think there's also, I'm, I'm going to do one more question and then we're going to open it out, so if, if anyone's been holding questions then your time is about to come. Uh, it's also around who we're talking to and who this is aimed at. You talked about galleries, you talked about politicians, you've been talking about, we've all been talking about artists as well. Um, I wonder where the role for things like the media is. I mean, I think artist representation in the media is often that we're kind of wasters and we sort of waste huge amounts of public money, uh, you know, making a puddle because it's a public artwork and it's worth £40,000. And there's a huge disconnect between yeah. what the amount of time and effort that goes into actually doing something and how it's presented more broadly in the media, presented to other audiences. Um, I'm reminded of the... Uh, a report many years ago, Taste Buds, which was around the contemporary art market, which found that an enormous proportion of the general public would like to buy art, hmm. contemporary art, but they don't know how to, and they yes. don't know that they can trust that what they're spending their money on is, is worth it, yeah, yeah. because it has been so devalued. Yeah. Mm. So I think there are lots of other potential routes to an income through sales, through the art market, on a, on a different way, on a non kind of not like going through Gagosian or some enormous commercial gallery, but it's, it's really difficult to overcome a lot of these other blocks through the media, through how, it's, how artists are represented. Mm. Mm. I mean, maybe it is about just getting ourselves out there more and explaining to people what it is we do. And just not being embarrassed about it. This is what we do, and you, we love it, but it's actually really hard work, and this is what it's... You know, it's, it's not just the Tracy Evans out there that gets the, the media you know, coverage. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if we don't fight for our rights, the, you know, look at the trade union bill that they're trying to push through. You know, some of the stuff, I don't know if you've heard of it, but the trade union bill, it says anti-trade union bill, they're trying to put through that, you know, everybody had to wear a black armband, you know, that was on a protest, and you had to give them two weeks' notice, and, I mean, absolutely ridiculous. And those are fundamental rights. We've got the strongest legal rules against trade unions in England compared to anywhere else in Europe. And it's outrageous. So, you know, we've got to be careful because artists like to protest because often their work is about challenging and making questions and having questions to say and look at what happened at, you know, uh, the National Gallery. And the PCS won. 
you know, and the Ritzy workers won. I don't know whether you know, whether you know about those campaigns, but you know, the Ritzy workers, they try to under, undermine those. So I think just get yourself out there and, and read, you know, read the papers you probably do already, but don't feel disheartened, you know, there is something we can do about it. I feel, I feel very positive about things because I feel like we've got nothing to lose, mm. you know. Yeah. I, the, the media question is the huge one, isn't it? Because um, the media will do what the media does, and artists... Yeah, they're, artists, they're, selling, they're selling advertising, yeah. they're selling newspapers and whatever. Yeah, and, and, and we serve a role within the media currently to be something to be ridiculed, mm. and how, that, how any shift or change comes about in that is... Mm. I don't even know where to begin. It's, I think it's, it's really got, a problem. It's you've really, just really got to hold to your own work, and if you believe your own work and have integrity with your work, then that's it. That your work is you, isn't it, as an artist? Mm. But it's also how you, how that's presented. I mean, these are real barriers to to finding an audience. Okay, yeah. there's like social networks and social media, but people have to still want to follow you and find it. There has to be. I I, I agree. I mean, you know, I do a lot of freelance work for Baltic Centre of Contemporary Art. You know, and the last Turner Prize that was there. Um, there was a lot of negativity around that show, but I think they had the biggest visitor number ever of any Turner mm. Prize in Newcastle. Yay! Mm. <laughs> and that was because all the crew of that fantastic building um, knew all about the artworks and sat and had cups of tea outside in the piazza and on all the floors and talked to people who came. It doesn't mean you have to like the work, but they engaged with everybody mm. and they talked about it. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, the way forward, is that you've just got to be, you know, if you're proud of a piece of work, whatever it is, you've got to learn to articulate somehow. And, you know, I'm not a great speaker. Mm-hmm. You know, I just do my best. That's all you can do. Yeah, in the, in the first discussion that we did, uh, John Kiefer, who's an arts consultant, was saying that uh, when all the public funding disappeared from, in Greece during the crisis, um, two things happened. No one cared. No one in the general public cared at yeah. all. And uh, artists started self-organising, but they also started self-organising in terms of putting themselves in dental surgeries and in shoe shine shops and in mm. the local corner shop to, to make themselves visible in that in that in exactly that kind of way. Mm. Um, so at this stage, I'd quite like to hear from other people if other people um, have anything they'd like to contribute, questions, comments. Yes, um, I'm just wondering about the model. Um, of um, how one earns money as, a, as an artist and whether that's in the kind of wider context of what's going on in the cultural economy. Um, if we look at music, streams, streams music, Apple, people don't buy the products anymore. Even now CDs, the cost of a CD, when in 20 years ago it was 15 pounds, it's now three pounds. Mm. You know. mm. um, uh, streaming music is practically free. Um, and um, and how uh, other economies? So you know, talking about um, never undercut yourself. You know, that in other economies or other industries. So look at the uh, black taxi drivers. You know, mm-hmm. they always were very kind of solid thing. Suddenly, Uber appears. You know, and just undercuts that. That and that gives it better service. And I suppose we're kind of living in this sort of deflation um, context. You know. Uh, it's, the, the kind of deflation economy is about trying to give what the public wants. Um, that customer's always right situation that you know, he or she is looking for the most affordable and cheapest uh, um, uh, 
experience or products or something, um, and occasionally there'll be the luxury. Um, so I think artists, uh, artists are in this sort of strange dilemma of um, that it is a luxury good, it's a luxury um, high value um, um, vocation, um, but also it's, it's having to kind of work within a wider economy where it's going to be undercut by um, other aspects of um, uh, cultural consumption or experiences. Uh, television, for example, um, where you know, suddenly you've got streaming that is um, creating very, very high quality drama, Game of Thrones, you know, or something like that, um, mm-hmm. which is not, uh, um, you know, which is that accessible, accessibility <coughs> of uh, good quality experience. And, and whether artists are, um, you're going to get a few high value artists, but then what's going to happen to the rest, you know, in terms of and I think the, the idea of um, it is about having to lead sort of uh, uh, um, holding two or three jobs life, I think, that situation. With um, uh, Bloomberg New Contemporaries, and thanks to our quest like mentoring uh, some of the artists that have been selected for that, all of the advice you're looking at is actually um, about, um, uh, well, they want to sustain their practice by having a day job, actually, and what's the best day job to, to go for retail, PR, other, other kind of uh, um, creative uh, um, traditional jobs in many ways. Um, so isn't, aren't artists always going to be juggling um, those uh, I think I think they are. Um, but I think I think I am, um, and I can see all of that, those arguments, and I know about the music business and how they have to, all their, their, their money now comes from live performance mm. now. And I think we just have to be more canny. I really do. Um, you know, the Musicians' Union, if you look at their website, I think they're the most similar to, like, fine artists and the variety of, you know, it, it, all I can speak is from a trade union perspective. And trade unions are there to regulate uh, relationships with those that employ and engage us, you know. And Musicians' Union have managed to do that. You know, if, if you record in a studio, there's a certain rate, and they can go and look at that. There's loads of different little specific contracts and yes, you might not get it, but surely that's what you aim for, and if that's there. You know, if you're playing an orchestra, there's a certain rate, if you've got a certain kinds of experience, if you work in a school. So it's not, I think, we still have to aim high, I think. And I think there is the luxury goods out there as well. Mm. You know, I, I was painting when I did my visual arts degree, and um, I had somebody who didn't buy some stuff from my show, but then he came to my studio afterwards. And, you know, he was just... Rolling, pulling rolls of money out of his pockets, you know, and she wanted to give me cash on demand. Mm. And the money is there, mm. but it's just not trickling down. So I think on the one hand, yes, I think you should be idealistic about your practice. You might not get paid for depending on what that is, you know. So you might have to do something else to it, but it doesn't mean that you can't support others to fight for actually raising the bar, raising the bar for artists, which I was hoping, you know, that Arts Council might be here tonight, I don't know whether they are, but I don't think so. I don't think there's anyone. No, that's a shame. Because that's, for me, that's what we should be doing. We shouldn't be looking for, oh, we've got to take everything down. You know, I want more artists out there. Mm. You know, I want a society where we're only working part-time. There's enough money in the West, in the richest country. We shouldn't all be working 40 hours a week. Yeah. I don't, I'm sorry, I don't accept that argument. Well, there's that fantastic article that David Graeber wrote called um, about bullshit jobs, his term, <laughs> which you should read on the Strike um, magazine website, where he talks exactly about that, of, of 
where we should be and what the, uh, you know, the, the kind of economic projection for, was for where we are now is um, most of us shouldn't be working at all um, because it's not needed actually yeah. to keep the world functioning. Yeah. Um, and it's just it's a really short but really beautiful mm. kind of summation of, of where, how it's all gone wrong and there's just been this um, need for more and more needless jobs to yeah. be created so that people just keep working unnecessarily. And I think, you know, when you first leave, yes, you know, I still do volunteering, you might do a lot of volunteering when you first leave, but just be very savvy about it, be very mm. savvy about what you use and be strategic about how you do that volunteering, that it's really it's something you're very passionate about that you want to do for yourself, it's, it's important for you, but don't do it instead of, you know, um, and make sure when you're looking at, for me, opportunities that if they're putting out as, you know, volunteering opportunities, actually that should be paid. I, I, I really want to try and stick to this sort of solutions-focused thing as well. Mm. And, and to, to, I mean, I think there is, I think you're right, Manic, that there is, in, every, in any freelance role, there's always going to be cross-subsidy, whether you're an artist or a lawyer or a whatever. Um, but at the same time, I was talking to Alex Goff, who's sitting at the back, who's the gallery manager of, the, of Block 66, about this idea that artists seem to be fairly unique in some ways that they often have to pay to go to work. They have to pay for their studios, they have to pay for the time to give themselves to do this stuff. Yeah. So there's got to be some kind of middle ground, obviously. And I think what you're talking about, these new models of music and the, the high earners and the, the low earners, of, and I, think that's, I think artists do have a lot to learn from that. Yeah. Um, if you think about the, the music, and obviously it doesn't translate directly, but if you think about the music industry, you have the kind of EMIs and Sony's producing these enormously expensive albums, and then a lot of people busking. And now, and the equivalent might be Jeff Coons and Damien Hurst versus a lot of us sitting in this room. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and it has things like Spotify, things like that have, have flipped that in a lot of ways, uh, or started to address it. The, difference, of course, is about how people experience music versus how they experience art. And that's, I think, where a lot of online auction companies or online galleries haven't quite been able to find the right model, the right business model for doing that. And that's something that's obviously much bigger than this conversation. But I think, I think there is, I think, I agree, I think there's a lot in that that we can start to try to move towards that or explore different models. I, I f constantly find myself making music analogies as an artist because it's, it's like a, an industry and language that people understand even if they're not interested in art. And, and I mean, to pick up very particularly on that, the one thing that hasn't got cheaper are gig tickets. And actually the, the, the experience, if you take the CDs as the, as, as, as the reproduction of the, of the thing, the actual experience of, of the music has, is still something you pay a significant amount of money for, isn't it? And that, that's the equivalent of our, our object or our performance, isn't it? And so we need to really take hold of that. And so that's why we need to be getting paid by galleries when we show there. And it's, um, but the, um, the art market also has a big role to play in this. In that it, it is that kind of unknown bubble, isn't it? And I, I've um, been represented by two commercial galleries, and uh, one of whom, she was brilliant at going out and finding that money that no one really knows exists. You know, there's a lot of people who are very, very wealthy who don't know how to buy art, don't know, you know what they should buy. And she was really good at going out and talking to these people and, and bringing the money in, in that way. And yeah. so um, there's a responsibility almost of the art market to yeah. be better at helping artists out. I want to add, sorry, you your hand up before. Um, just to pick up on a few failed strategies as an artist. Um, 
here in London from Brixton a few weeks ago, one of the open studios. Um, I just want to show what level it's coming to. We open our studios, in my case, I don't the studios in my living room. You were asked to be there from 10 o'clock to 6 to host the people, to put the painting, probably to give them something to drink because they went up. And <coughs> there is no lift. And in the end, you also needed to pay money to be able to have your you know, open house, open studio in a website and a free, a free advertisement. So this is, and this is Lambert, uh, Brixton, New York, it's not uh, Chelsea. So this is after, so I decided not, not to participate. I don't have again anything from that. <laughs> so this one, so we are not even talking about, you know, being paid to be in Another case, uh, open event, uh, live painting which I wanted to, you know, participate in. No money, so I didn't buy paints. I decided to paint with paint stripper and fire and <laughs> canvas. So this didn't take me uh, anywhere. What I'm trying to say is that I don't think, unfortunately, that as artists, we have much leeway. I mean, you have the uh, um, unions, but the unions are there because they do the strike or cause riots. Now, a few weeks ago there was a, a conference about community art in Liverpool, um, in Lucky, um, and there was a really heated discussion there between artists and art institute. In this case it was represented by the Tate, uh, and it's, it's got up to the level of nastiness, because people have, you know, you know um, and it was difficult because if the institutions are also under pressure, and you ask for the institution exactly as this artist uh, said, but I think the option is in this case, especially Tate, is close your gates. Simple as that. I mean, this is one of the pride of the UK. It's getting a lot of people there, a lot of tourists. It's getting a lot of money into the UK and into London. So there are some institutes that have the power, that's the institutes. So how us as an artist in front of the institute, I have no idea, but probably this is the only place that actually can perform a strike. Mm. It's an interesting point for the strike. There was in, I think, late 70s or something, was the art strike. There was about two or three years or something, and hardly any artists took part in it, and <laughs> hardly anyone noticed. And it's sort of like a, it was kind of a bit of an art project rather than a I heard of one in Iceland, and I don't know whether it's gone down in myth now, but again, during the whole kind of global crisis, um, that they covered all the art up for a day. So everybody was asked to cover up you know, their books, no music, their designer goods, their photographs, no radio, no television, and probably no clothes as well, you know, <laughs> and see what life is like. Because everybody takes it for granted that all those things have to be designed, and often they're designed very, very well. Um, and often so, those designers originally come from the visual arts or yeah. some often, of their arts area often, as well. Yeah. A huge, the arts do feed a huge number of those yeah. uh, creators. And I suppose, back to what you say, you know, um, I suppose trade unions have had a bad reputation in relation to striking in the more industrial kind of big unions. But I think what we can do collectively, we can have a strong voice. Mm. You know, if you find a big institution that you feel is just really, you know, um, advertising a job that you think is really exploitative, you know, if you join the union, we can write to them 
and especially if they're getting public money, which that means they should be accountable, and you're only offering to pay an artist something like you know, minimum wage, then we can do something about that and insist and actually we need to see you because this is not on. You're getting so much money and you're only offering a minimum wage, for example, right? Yeah, but if, but you if you're on your own, how yeah. do you do that? Mm. But even if they're not getting enough money, I mean, we need to demand them. If you're not getting enough money, you do something to get them more money. The galleries should be speaking up, absolutely. Yeah. The galleries, which is where the Pay Not campaign, the galleries need to up their game as well. If they really want great art, and as you say, Britain is really known for that, I just feel like the fine art, we really need to catch up with, you know, theatre and music. Mm. Well, I, I mean, like it was really cool yeah. last, last week in the Regeneration talk that we were doing, there was uh, Kristen Dunn from the Greater London Authority was there and said that four out of five people who visit London come for the culture, specifically mm. and primarily come for the culture. So it would be an incredibly powerful thing to, to do. Mm. Um, the masked voice, I think. I mean, I would have been you in that situation. I wouldn't have paid to go on that map. And, um, but... I'm sure if you spoke to most people who were on that map, they were probably feeling a bit disgruntled, a bit annoyed that they'd had to pay to go on it. And actually, the, the power of the masked voice in that, if everyone who was annoyed about the fact that they'd had to <laughs> exactly. pay to go on that map had just gone, no, we're not doing it, there yeah. would have been no event, and so something yeah. would have shifted and changed. Yeah. Um, sorry, I'm going to go here, then I'll come over to you soon. Go on. No, I'm, I'm just wondering whether there's a problem with the, the term artist, because actually it doesn't mean anything. And it does, it's not a currency that warrants a pay. You know, because the connotation artist is a bum who gets up at midday, smokes dog and does what he likes, and is really naive and stupid, and doesn't deserve... You know, there's this, if you move into different industries, you know, you get certain reactions. People don't realise about the professionalisation of artists, the artists have PhD. So if you, if you scrap that term, you know, hypothetically, and if you think, what's your, what is your actual job? And there are huge amounts of skills involved. You're a fundraiser a moment, you're a consultant in other moments, you are you know, there are different words that actually are currency in other industries and they have money associated with that. You know, if I stepped in as a consultant, you know, I can say I want six hundred quid today, yeah, sure, no problem. But oh I'm an artist and I can actually advise you hundred and fifty quid, you know. So I think there's a problem with the term that doesn't mean anything. And, you know, so let's break down what the skills are, you know, you have a PhD, you're a lecturer, you're a writer, you know, let's look at what we can do, you know, you have some people have amazing skills in making things that, you know, in other in film industries are, you know, in other industries are recognised, and maybe there can be an assessment or a self-assessment in terms of, you know, because, and, and then, you know, the, then through that self-assessment, there can be an equalisation of, of Hey, you know, because I think it's a good point actually about unpacking what the term artist means because yeah. it doesn't mean a lot to most people. It does have the sort of take about before about these kind of media associations that's often quite negative and often quite so yeah, there, there could well be something in that. I'm just aware of our time, so I'm I'm just going to go to to you two just now. Uh, Katie, do you want to go first? Yeah, I'm, I'm just to go back to the point about the strong voice. I'm, I'm really interested in how we can unify um, different organisations around these common challenges. I work within the University of the Arts London, where our country is based, the largest arts and design institution in Europe, and we are dependent on art being recognised as, as valuable within the curriculum that feeds our university in terms of creative talent. And we recognise that we are, we're dependent on it being recognised as favourite creative which is something that the arts um, community and, and sort of economy. And, I think there's 
huge untapped potential for us to work together more. And, and I mean, both questions for Mark and Andrew. You know, have you been approached by arts institutions or universities with large sort of art courses and programs to to discuss how we can collaborate and and sort of build more of a kind of joined voice and maybe. I guess a sort of a strategy to engage the media in more sort of open dialogue or fair dialogue around the challenges that artists are facing. I think it all it is difficult around academia because I think they're feeling so pressurised, and the problem is I think with the cuts and austerity is that it's a pervasive fear. Everybody's terrified that you're mm. going to lose your job, so people are scared. But that's how they win because people feel intimidated. So my, my natural reaction is to just come out fighting, you know, unfortunately, because that's just the way I am. It's like, no, <laughs> no, no, no. So the people that have approached us, for example, are lecturers who, you know, I suppose some of them have had, you know, they've been artists from the 60s and 70s, and they've seen that, um, you know, you've, you've just got to stand up for what you believe, really. And working together is much more powerful, but you're only going to get those people along that are not intimidated and scared. And it's, it's very, it is a scary thing to do, I think, to put your head above the parapet. But I think in, in universities are meant to be brave and apologetic. Yeah, in the way I agree, absolutely. The and that, I mean, that, I appreciate what you're saying around individual lecturers and tutors and researchers. Yeah. It's, it's difficult to yeah. be brave, and, and particularly if you're living in an yeah. environment of uncertainty. But I think too, some commercial... Institutions need to step up. Yeah. Absolutely, and I think some commercial galleries really take advantage, particularly the, the, art, the amount of artists that are in London. Some, some members came to us last year, and because we're not you know, certified yet, there's very little we can do, we'll pass them on to Beck to. But it's a commercial gallery, very, very well known in, in London. You know, technicians have worked there for years. Most of them have got MAs and PhDs on minimum wage, you know, and they're expected with the three or four changes a year of, um, uh, of, of work in there to come along and do, the, and do training for free for four or five days and then talk about it and use them as experts, as professionals, to talk about the work that, you know, they're not employing, you know, uh, just somebody off Joe Blogs off the street. They're employing artists. That's not a coincidence, mm, mm, you know, mm. and it's just appalling that they've been on the same minimum wage, you know, and they're just living in poverty. So, again, they went to Bechtu, and I think they're getting representation from Bechtu now because they've got their strength in numbers, you know, they've got 25,000 members. How many artists? You've got a lot of members in the end. You need to join the union and we can do something about it. Mm. Um, you're absolutely right, it would be great if institutions could um, do something about it. I, I've never heard of an institution doing that, kind of um, discussing how uh, the kind of a media interpretation could be taken head on. But then um, it's somehow I'm making a connection with this in my mind, and I don't know if it's connected at all, but I had a meeting this morning with a chap who's really, very, very interesting. He's the director of a um, very successful, very large uh, development company, and he's actually gone back to study fine art at university. I, I work with him on a project, and, um, and he's since gone back. and. We had a meeting about things, and he set up a new business, which he's got all of this business knowledge, all of this business now, and he's now trained to be an artist, and so has knowledge and sympathy to the arts. And suddenly he's found himself in this amazing position where he's got lots of contacts within a very rich world. He understands how that world works, and he increasingly is understanding art. And um, it was a brilliant conversation, and it's just that how... Um, uh, 
knowledge exchange and linked up thinking, the power that exists within that. You know, it's kind of wrapped up in this one guy currently, but you know, uh, in terms of your direct question, there is, there's absolutely, um, you know, there, there's, there's power in, in kind of shared knowledge in, in how we can address some of these things and how we go about bringing those elements together, I don't know, sitting here, but um, it absolutely could be done. I'm just finally going to go to Ginny. No? You don't have to if you don't want to. I'm sure there'll be a letter if you don't want to. I have four or five questions, but we're going to run out. But I think there are a number of different points that have been made that I kind of want to kind of have on this. Later, they were talking about you know, kind of, you know, the term artists. And I think this is something that came up in, um, or has come up over the last sort of year in conversations, and particularly when we've been trying to engage the public with paying artists campaign and thinking about you know, how do we make it an essential or you know, something urgent for the public to get behind it. And I think one of the issues is that people don't really know or understand what an artist is or does. Mm. They understand what a nurse does and what a policeman does and a teacher does and that why they should be standing up and making a fuss about the pay. They don't really understand about what an artist does. So I think there is something there from an artist's point of view about you know, how we do better communicate what it is that we do, what we bring to society, mm. and that is very much part and parcel. I suppose of what you know, we kind of do as an organisation the and other organisations that we work with is about how do you value the role of the artist in organisations that work with students mm. as well as other unions. But, so it, it's not always a conversation about money and about pay, it's about trying to articulate what the value is that, that you know, we play in society. I think another, just one other point which was um, raised, which I thought would be an interesting thing to, to discuss but we'll talk about it later, um, is this comparison with other sexual models and other business models. So the music industry is, is an interesting one to look at. But it always comes back to the fact that the visual arts model is kind of unique in all sorts of ways. So it, it is unregulated. There isn't the kind of um, sort of legislative things around it. It's also free when it comes to exhibitions. So there is no box office or ticket price that is going back into the organisations that are there to make the opportunities for artists. There is funding coming in, but there's also limits on capacity and the number of artists that they can provide opportunities for. So I think there is a really important question there about how artists make opportunities for themselves now, particularly where we're looking forward into a situation where you know, you're looking at some council, councils completely losing their cultural departments. Mm. There isn't going to be a gallery or a museum <coughs> in a local town. There's going to be a library. Um, and that's something that is definitely happening. So the opportunities for artists to do what is important, which is you know, if you're making work, you want to be able to share it. How do you do that? What is the business model that either complements the existing one, the public one, but is also going to provide that opportunity for artists? And I think that's something that um, artists could really make something of themselves. There's opportunity for them to do that. Highlighting really good examples of that as well, which I will do right now. In um, Bristol Council um, has a, an arts officer who works there who... Um, I mean, Bristol's quite a forward-thinking city anyway, isn't it? Let's, you know, it's, it's, um, but... Um, they have now a world-class um, set of public artworks still growing around the city because there's um, a guy on the council there who is very strong-willed in how he uh, kind of deals with himself within the council and he absolutely will, um, is only interested in working with really interesting contemporary artists and over time now has 
um, the council have paid for all of these artworks um, that have often uh, kind of come about through an acknowledgement that a particular area um, needs some regeneration and so money's been found for projects to happen. I did a project with him which was on one level a very practical solution to lighting in one of those awful motorway underpasses. And, but that was it kind of spotted as an opportunity to commission an artist to do something interesting. And so suddenly there's this amazing collection of artworks around the city, free for everyone to access, and, and a kind of a really strong case within the council that this guy should be there and he can car- should carry on getting paid to be part of this and he should carry on being allowed to commission these artworks. Uh, it's, and then there are other councils where 100% of everything's being cut. You know, it's kind of th- those, are the, those are the things which need to be shouted about and made really visible to Yeah, you see, I think there is a real contradiction with the cuts because Newcastle City Council have got a great... They've got one arts officer left and they have six residencies a year and they focus on residencies in really deprived areas. And I do a small, work for a small project working with children and families who've got special needs. And art is really valued with people who, you know, are ignored in society and who are failed by the education system society. Art can really help people to have access to society, and that's how we're being used now, to actually enable people to have access to society. And we should be really blowing our trumpet about that. Because they're not asking engineers, you know, they're not asking people who make roads. And yes, we can highlight, we do very practical things, that's what artists do. Mm. So I think there is this contradiction that we have to be aware of, that on the one hand they're trying to sell us this business model, but on the other hand, actually, you know, art is a really deep part of society. And don't let go of that, because it is, and they, they want us and they need us. So I think, you know, we've just got to really find, you know, sometimes you have to create things that are not there. You know, and for me, it's always around social justice. So I find, I find what not's there, and I go and approach somebody and say, "Why aren't you doing this?" And then more often than not, I say, "Well, actually, that's a good idea. Will you do it?" <laughs> but you have to look for those opportunities. It depends what you want to do, um, and yes, yeah, say no to the really bad opportunities and get together and create your own and make such a fuss about it that you get that publicity. Actually, and your work gets the publicity. If you're going to work for free, you might as well get the right publicity for you. Mm. <laughs> I'm uh, going to draw us to a close now, at least this formal bit, and we can then go and support the gallery. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but I, two things I just want to um, wrap up with. One, I think about this idea that's come up a few times about media. I don't know if anyone saw the BBC series What Do Artists Do All Day? Which was a recent uh, attempt, perhaps, to show what artists supposedly do all day, which I don't think I know any artists who do any of those things all day. (laughs) Sitting there in enormous multi-million pound studios looking at the walls and thinking about what their next project will be. It's not really what artists do all day in my experience. So so it is about media representation, but it's media representation of artist workers, the kind of worker bees who make all of that other stuff possible. What does Anthony Gormley's assistant yeah. do all day? <laughs> that's that's the, where the next uh, series should be. And also, it strikes me from a lot of what we've been talking about that money is actually a symptom for a lot of the stuff, the systemic problems and issues that are going on. And if we can address things like media representation, if we can address things like the status of the artist, then money will start to not be a problem as much because it, the value of art and artists will be more widely understood. Mm. Um, so, I do want to thank you all very much for coming. I want to thank Mark 
for your contribution, and Angela as well, thank you very much. Also, our partners on this uh, talk who are AN and Artists Union England. I want to thank Block336 as well for hosting us. The next um, uh, talk will be next Saturday. We, they're usually happening on Wednesdays, but the next one will be a week on Saturday, which is the 28th of November, which is around families, uh, artists who have families and the issues that they face. Do please stay... Sorry? Can they afford it? Can they afford it? Exactly. <laughs> um, so do please stay for drinks and to uh, have a look at the gallery and talk to us. And thank you very much for coming. Thanks. Cheers.